People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about the Ship Society of South Africa. I don't know if you're a ship enthusiast, especially being in a harbour town, but I am very much so and always have been. My flat at home has pictures and paintings of Union Castle ships and the QE2 and so on. When I was young, my father used to take me down to the docks in Durban to watch the mail ship leave on a Thursday. So I was intrigued when I realized there was a very active ship society here in Cape Town that meets regularly. It was apparently founded in 1953 by a small group of maritime enthusiasts, and the aim of the society is, among many other things, to provide a forum for guest speakers, to show slides and films, and also to collect a book and image library relating to the shipping world. And they are actually situated right in the harbour in Duncan Dock, so they're right there, as it were. With me in the studio now is the vice chairman of the society, Philip Short, and he also has just released a book called Tavern of the Seas, the Unseen Years, 1935 to 1955, a really magnificent, glossy book of black and white pictures, A History of Cape Town. Philip, welcome. Welcome to Fine Music Radio. Thank you very much, Rodney, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, listen, I would like to know, it says here it was founded in 1953, but how long have you been involved? Because you seem to be quite a key figure in the organization. I'm currently the vice chairman and have been um, the chairman on two previous occasions. We sort of do it on a rotational sort of team basis, and um, it's an exercise in those who are willing. But um, I've been involved since 1992, so 28 years, and, um, and I enjoy it immensely. It's just a bit of a weekend outlet, and like you, I was brought up with the culture of those liners as being a method of travel. Mm. It was, in fact, how I arrived in this country in 1963. Oh, did you actually come on a ship? Pretoria Castle. Mm. Yeah. November which became the, the S.A. Orania. Which became the S.A. Orania in 1965, I think, okay. yes. Gosh. So the shipping thing has also been in your blood for a while. I think if you knew that way of life as a young person, it never quite leaves you. There mm. was a certain passion. There was a certain mystique. There was a magic about it that it's regrettable that it's gone today. I know there's cruising, but it isn't quite the same. It's very different, isn't it? I mean, most of the time these days you get these cruise ships that look like floating casinos as opposed to the beautiful shape and style of the elegant cruise liners. Do you agree? Absolutely agree. They are floating blocks of flats because, of course, most of the cruise passengers are American and they all want a private balcony. Interestingly, the Germans, for example, are also big cruisers, do not like a private balcony. They prefer a sun deck right at the top where they can get down to the buff as mm -hmm. such. Oh, yes. That's more of a requirement, and we found that <laughs> out on the ship called the Deutschland. And, um, but, yes, there, there's very few truly good-looking vessels that take passengers around the world these days. It's just a function of the design 
as I say, that everyone wants an ice rink and a surfing pool and a climbing wall and an outdoor theatre. And, I mean, it actually boggles the mind, Rodney, if you think that we used to arrange chairs in the lounge on the Pretoria Castle to watch a film. Yes. You know, talking about these uh, shapes of ships, if you think of the QE2, which was a beautifully shaped ship, she was. compared now to the Queen Mary, yes. which is starting to, which starts to look like the one with all the balconies all over the place, as the Victoria and, um, which is the other one, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. They both are. And those huge white ships as well that come in here. I didn't think about it. It's all the outdoor verandas that people insist on, the, yes. the patios. Yeah. They want private patios. They want the five-star facility, and they like to spread it as much as possible. At the top end of the market, there are even ships where there are simply no inside cabins at all. The crew, maybe, but certainly not a fair-paying passenger. He has a balcony. Gosh. You spoke about the Deutschland, Phil, mm. and I remember many years ago uh, when I used to work at Classic FM in Johannesburg, we organized a tour on the Deutschland for listeners, and I was sent along as a sort of escort. And I remember someone saying, saying to me, you're very lucky because it's one of the most luxurious ships. It's not a very big ship, as you know, but it is. I was struck by its beauty. It also is one of the more beautiful ships, don't you think? Very beautiful, and to me, even more beautiful inside than art, because mm. I haven't seen such extensive use of rare, exotic, and expensive woods for a very long time. <laughs> yes, I know. It had a special dining room as well. I mean, part of the joy of cruising is an elegant dining room, isn't it? Very much so. Where you're sitting in splendor like you might see in pictures of the old liners, even back to the Titanic days. Oh, there's something wonderful about, you know, dressing up for dinner, even though on a lot of cruises these days they don't. Mm. But as you say, I think that the tradition comes from the age of jacket and tie for dinner. Um, and therefore, the dining room itself was um, an extravagant, beautiful room and often had a grand staircase so that the women could descend and be seen. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, what sort of people join the Ship Society? Well, that's a very good question. And, and these days, it's increasingly difficult to get anyone to join the Ship Society because there's so much more option out there. You know, mm. obviously, when there's no COVID virus around, we have, um, we have these beautiful in, and interesting, perhaps is a better word than beautiful, interesting um, rooms festooned with memorabilia, models, artworks, posters, paintings, of the grand era of ocean travel. And we might be the only ship society in the world with its own rooms in a working harbor. Oh, really? That's interesting. The Ocean Liner Society, for example, that meets in the UK, meet in a pub um, in Farringdon Road in London. Mm -hmm. And their library is worked out of a suitcase put on the top of tables, whereas we have, <laughs> you know, four separate rooms, yes. which, by the way, have just been extensively renovated and are looking really splendid. But unfortunately, very few people can see them. Oh, yes, because of this because COVID Because of this thing. COVID yes. and the lockdown. Yes, but what sort of people join? I suppose people that are interested in all things mechanical. We get people that like aeroplanes, motorcars, trains, and ships. Mm. There seems to be a group that if you like large man-made moving objects, and, and, and that's a small group of enthusiasts, but, but they are particularly unique in that, and then they would like what the society has to offer. It's also a window, I think, on an earlier age, and... We do attract, even today, guest speakers that are currently in the maritime field, mm. salvage operators, and those are very interesting talks that we have. So it's not only a society that looks back at the history of 
of ocean travel, we look at what is currently happening on the maritime scene as well. Okay, well, there are a few more questions I want to ask you about that. But let's take your first piece of music. Phil, what have you chosen to share with us, first of all? Right. Well, I've chosen um, a fellow Englishman called Sting and a song called Fragile because I think at the moment the world is in a rather fragile state. Not only the COVID virus, but I think global warming and this unpleasant tit-tit-for-tat relationship between the U.S. and China. And there are all sorts of nasty things going off. And um, I think that we are genuinely in a slightly fragile state, and I think we need to be aware of it, and I think we mainly are. But this song just came to mind.
one of the really beautiful and thought-provoking songs by Sting called Fragile. And the first choice of my guest, Philip Short, who is the vice chairman of the Ship Society of South Africa. And that's what we're talking about today. And we were saying about the appeal of the Ship Society earlier. And it is sort of based on nostalgia, isn't it? But at the same time, as you said, you are getting speakers to come and talk about more modern and it's not only ocean liners, is it? You can talk about also, it's to do with all sorts of shipping. Oh, very much so, yes. We had a very interesting uh, uh, visit from um, some of the engineering team at uh, De Beers Marine that do the, the alluvial diamond mining. And we've had talks on, um, on the Mafuta and the Yatoivo, which are the big mining vessels that, that scour the sea. And um, it's the most interesting operation. And... Um, we have had talks from stevedores, from uh, agents, anything that is remotely related to the maritime world has a link. And uh, another one of our most popular speakers is Mr. Barry Gasson, but he's a historian. But he talks about the history of the coastline and the evolution of it. Um, so the fact that it's the sea and we will stray that far. Mm -hmm. But it, we are a ship society predominantly and a steamship society, not necessarily yachting because people often think, oh, well, do you have a yacht? No, that's a different yeah, thing. That's, that's to the right, actually. We, we're to the left yeah, uh, okay. opposite the cruise terminal. No, steamships, big ones, yeah. But Phil, you also, what about tugs? Because I remember mm. when I was young, tugs fascinated me. And one of my very first little radio features I did when I was in Durban as a junior announcer was on the tugs and went out on a tug. And that was an incredible experience. We used to have a one o'clock club on every Saturday down at the Ship Society and the guys would meet. And uh, we'd spend the afternoon on the tugs and on the pilot boats. And that came to an end about 12, 15 years ago. It slowly started shutting down after 9-11 mm. and the security around points of entry. But... What was interesting is that the tugmasters and the pilot captains themselves would appreciate company on their two to three hour shift. Oh, yes. And they would say, come on, guys, it's nice to have you on board because it's a fresh face to talk to. And it was great because, I mean, Cape Town such a beautiful city. So on a lovely summer afternoon to be on the monkey island of a tug, yes. bringing in, for example, the, you know, in those days, it could have been the QE2 mm. or the mm. Mary or... Anything, even now, of course, the most common visitors in this harbour are the Mediterranean Shipping Company, or they were, MSC. So their summer cruise ships would always be in and out. But it's just nice. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's a tradition that unfortunately now is the door is closed to us, sadly. Yes. So you actually went out on the tugs, a working tug, and would go and bring in a ship and be on the tug. At every, the same time. Off, every Saturday. It's fascinating. Yes. Gosh. Mm. Talking about the pilot boats as well. Phil, we, one of the most successful uh, and popular people of notes I did, and I don't know if you know him, was with John Hammer. I know John Hammer. He's a very nice man. Uh, he was mm. one of the senior pilots, mm. and he told us the most amazing things about bringing these ships in, about aiming them straight, about wind. He also said the extraordinary thing that the bottom of Table Bay is mostly granite or something solid, which makes it difficult to anchor ships out there. So people are fascinated by the sea and by the harbor. Very much so. I mean... Um very much so. We started, um, of course, as a as a small vegetable garden to supply ships. Yes, that did. was our sole raison d'etre. Almost literally. Yes. 
And we've evolved from that into a world-class city. Mm-hmm. But ships have always been part of our history, and hopefully they always will be. Sadly, the harbour is to a large degree cut off a little bit now. But the advent of the V&A over the last 25 years has done wonderful things to reconnect Cape Town and make its citizens aware of the harbour and the tradition. And I think that's special. That's good. I think it's worth remembering that the VNA is, in fact, a working harbour. Very uh, much. You, so. you see the tugs, you see other things. It's fisher boats. Mm. Um, and when you're wandering around there, you're very aware of the sea of boats and just the, the whole nautical atmosphere of it as a working harbour. I think they've captured that very well, and they've done very well to maintain it. Yeah, mm-hmm. They're to be congratulated for that. It's, um, it's wonderful. It's, um, it's too crowded for me as someone who used to be in the harbour like you, Rodney, as an interested observer when, when you knew everybody that was in there because there were so few of us, mm. whereas now the whole world is in there and they're shopping and they want McDonald's and they're, they're tyre kickers, as someone <laughs> used to say. You know. <laughs> really yes, but they, but they don't, yeah. But, it, but it's good. It's good because they have kept the tradition and they've kept the whole Victorian atmosphere of that harbour, which is as it was built, and, and they've embellished and added on, and I think they've done a super job. Do you think, I mean, what is the situation now? You can't just walk down to the harbour and watch a ship leave, can you? You can't. You can get into the cruise terminal, I you think, fairly easily. You can get into the cruise terminal if there's a ship in the cruise terminal. Then they open it up. And, of course, Panama Jack's restaurant, um, well, let's hope that they're open after COVID. They moved there from their um, base that they'd been at for 25, 30 years down near the Yacht Club. And um, so the public do have access, and it's a wonderful platform that they have that you will be well aware of, Rodney, because they've got a viewing platform. You can look out into the harbour, and they have. They used to have a very good lunchtime specials where you know the prices were manageable for us South Africans, and to to sit there with you know a plate of fish and chips and a glass of wine and look out onto the harbour and sea ships is just an uplifting experience if you're any kind of enthusiast like me, and it's mm-hmm. a great facility. So well, yes, I mean they're. they're it's getting better, I must say. It is getting better because they have the public viewing platform. And every time a cruise ship is in, the gate is open and the public are allowed to come and look, which is, which is a step forward. That's worth – I'm glad you said that. That's mm. worth remembering because I went down when the Elizabeth was here, the mm. Queen Elizabeth, and went up there and sat outside in the balcony mm. at Panama Jacks mm. looking at this vast edifice, which was the Elizabeth. Yes. And sort of feeling a little bit envious. But anyway, let's have another piece of music, Phil. Right. Woman in the Waves by Michael Franks. And? Well, ships are or have traditionally always been of the female gender. Yes. And they sail through the waves. So I just thought Woman in the Waves. And Michael Franks is a very nice, easy listening guy. And this is a particularly catchy song that seems suitable for the subject. Complicated my past 
That was the voice of Michael Frank's Woman in the Waves. And a choice of my guest on this week's edition of People Note, Philip Short, who is the Vice Chairman of the Ship Society of South Africa. And we're talking about ships and shipping. Interestingly, you mentioned trains earlier, you know, people interested in large objects that move. And I think the people who would be interested in trains would be interested in steam trains, wouldn't they, more than the modern locomotive, diesel locomotives? Yes, very much so. And, um, Rodney, as you well know, the Atlantic Rail and um, Ceres Rail have re-inaugurated some traditional steam train trips, or have been doing, and um, they actually operate right behind our rooms down in the harbour. Mm-hmm. And we see them on a regular basis. And, uh, yes, steam propulsion whether on a small scale or a big scale, tends to attract the same kind of enthusiasts, yes. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that I have found delightful about the Ship Society is that every year you have a rather beautiful calendar produced. Now, just tell me about that. They're most wonderful painted pictures by? Jeremy Day. He's uh, a longstanding member of ours. He's the most talented man He might be the most talented man I know because not only can he do amazing fine detail, which you know well, but he can build motorcycles and motor cars, and he has done previously. He was in advertising. He was a graphic artist. He's a designer. He's an enthusiast of ships, cars, and bikes. And he joined our society about 15 years ago. And the first project was, in fact, in 2012, which was the centenary of the Titanic sinking. Mm. Mm. And he thought then, I'm going to produce a calendar for the Ship Society, and it will be of the Titanic departing Liverpool or Southampton. Previous, oh, I'm not sure now. Anyway, but that was the beginning of the calendars, and he's produced one every year since, and I think you might have had one every year since. I have indeed. And what strikes me about them, as you said, is the detail. He clearly has, well, he must have a picture from which he takes all the detail, but things like people standing on the dock and the clothes they're wearing. Or there was one particular one out at sea with great big crashing waves, I think with a tug uh, quite recently, a few years ago. Um, And he manages to get the water right. And I always think that's a sign of a good artist. Oh, yeah. No, he's technically just about perfect. And... um, I'm glad you brought up the subject of clothing because what he'll do is he'll go back and he'll research the fashions at the period of the painting of that particular ship and he'll have a look at the lengths of the skirts of the women and the fashion of the hats and the coats of the men. So he tries to get the period absolutely correct. Because this year is that lovely picture of HMS Vanguard in 1947 bringing the royal family to South Africa. And I think it was leaving, the actual picture he took. I can't remember if it was arriving or leaving. Yes, it was leaving. But there are people standing on. Now I'm going to go home and have a closer look at it. Do you sell these calendars? Does the public know about them or is it just for the society? No, we try to sell them as much as we can. And um, that's where you've been such an asset to us, Rodney, is because you've mentioned, you know, when, when I bring you a calendar that you've got one from the Ship Society and the fact that they are available. We don't sell a lot of them. But we do, and it all goes towards funds to keep the society rolling because we pay quite a serious rental down there for the rooms. Mm. And we have a limited membership of aging people, and it's a constant struggle, as are many things in the world at the moment, to stay the course. Mm -hmm. And 
every little helps. And the calendars are wonderful because we, we they know, I think they're up to 40 rands each now. But what Jeremy also does, he produces greetings cards and, and often the calendar is related to the greetings card and he also produces wine labels. Mm, I remember the wine. I remember mm. you presenting me with a bottle of wine once with the same picture, I think it was. Exactly. Possibly of the Titanic back yes, then. Yes, that would have been. And in fact, there's the, the Royal Departure wine it is currently on our shelves and I owe you a bottle and you will be receiving a bottle, sir. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Well, I would like to say that I've been down to the uh, Ship Society's rooms, those rooms you say, and it is, it's really quite a treasure trove of, uh, of bits and pieces and memorabilia, isn't it? Including a pub. Yes, well. I think anything nautical has to have a pub. Everything nautical has to have a bunker point. Bunker point being the refueling station, and um, we serve tea and coffee, and members bring their own beer and wine. And we get comfortable around the wood and discuss maritime matters as frequently as – well, on Thursdays and Saturdays, to yes. be honest. That's you mentioned an aging membership. So, I mean, I presume – are you trying to get younger people in? We are. We have a, we have a sort of program on the go um, with – we've been getting the sea cadets down, strangely um, – no, not so strange. I yeah, think that makes true. Sense. It does. It does because it's young energy, and um, but you know, in this age of digitalization and online gaming, it's very difficult to get young people interested um, in something like the harbour, especially when it's fenced off. Mm. When we could say, well, how about popping down on Saturday and we can have a ride on a tug out into the bay? Now that's really something quite interesting but that facility as I say due to security concerns at points of entry is no longer available so you're limited to what you can do at the rooms and occasionally across at the cruise terminal um, as we've discussed which is open but yeah the, ideally we'd love a whole batch of new younger members and and we try we had a very nice young man Jonathan Goshen uh, we've got a we've got a young cadet officer, um, Alan Lesseur, who's on our committee, who's 27 years old. So they are out there. Mm. I just think the maritime world is not what it used to be. The digital age has pushed it onto the back seat. I mean, there are very few sort of German, French, and English officers at sea anymore. They're 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 from the Philippines, yes. and they're good guys. True, but the yeah. world has changed, you know. Philip. Another piece of music. David Bowie, I see, coming up. Yes, Space Oddity. Interesting. Um, I'm a great admirer of Bowie. I think it's a wonderful song. And I also chose it because of um, the South African man who is on the world stage, Mr. Elon Musk. And his passion, or one of them, is space with his SpaceX program. And a spaceship is just a ship which goes into the sky. And I thought, well, that would be suitable for this occasion. Control to Major Tom 
ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown engines on. Check ignition and may God's love be with you.
Space Oddity by David Bowie. And there we had another selection of my guest, Philip Short of the Ship Society of South Africa. He's the vice chairman. Philip, we've spoken a lot about the society and about those calendars and about the special wine labels. But I've been very chuffed by this book that you've compiled and uh, produced called Tavern of the Seas, the Unseen Years, 1935 to 1955. And it's a compendium of the most extraordinary pictures. How did this all come about? Uh, oh, well, you said they were found lying in a bottom drawer or something, these pictures. Yeah. Rodney, do you know that for over 40 years of my life, and in fact for the last sort of 32 minus this last 12 months, I've run a hairdressing business. And I had the most wonderful collection of clients and customers and friends that supported me for all those years. And Derek and Ginny Hulse were in right at the beginning, probably in the late 70s when I was a young lad. And I'd just come back out from the UK after being there for two years working. And they've, we've been friends and they've been clients ever since. And over the years, Ginny has brought me packets of what in the, um, in the collectible term is known as ephemera, which would be menus and uh, tickets and brochures from the famous shipping companies over the years that have been cleared out from aunts and uncles that have passed away and would normally go in the bin. But she knows my passion for things maritime. So she says, Philip, this is for you. Sort through it. What you don't want, you can dump or take to the ship society. We don't want it. And then last year in about March, her husband Derek arrived and he had a lovely, big, white, old-looking manila envelope. And he said to me, oh, you like ships. These are for you. And he plonked them on my coffee table. So I was having a busy day. And about 3.30, I said to my assistant lady, won't you make me a cup of tea? I'm just going to have a look. And I opened the envelope, and as you say, it was an Aladdin's chest of unseen photographs. And as someone who's been watching the, um, the shipping scene in Cape Town for many years, I hadn't seen one of them. I was completely struck, so I picked up the phone and I said, Derek, I've just had a look in this envelope. It's incredible. And he said, Phil, you know, my uncle was the harbour engineer during the war years, Jim <laughs> Reed. Yeah. And photographs were not allowed to be taken because there was a large German and Italian community living in Cape Town who were not particularly empathetic towards Jan Smuts joining the Allied cause. And, of course, a lot of the Afrikaans community had never forgiven the British for the internment of their women and children during the Boer War. So there were strong feelings there. So there were posters up all over town. Loose lips sink ships. Don't talk about ships. Because the U-boats would operate around the South Atlantic and Indian Oceans. In fact, they used to bring the U-boat commanders to the Alhambra Theatre, and they know that because they found when they captured them in the North Atlantic, they had tickets from the Cape Town Alhambra Theatre in their pockets. Good grief. Yes, they would That's... land them out at Scarborough, and they'd drive them in for an evening of culture. Obviously, you know, not dressed in German of naval officers' of uniform. But it was a most interesting time. But Derek's uncle was allowed to commission professional photographs as a war record of the comings and the goings. Makes sense. And when, when the uncle died, his father got this envelope, and when his father died 40 years ago, Derek put it in the bottom of a steel trunk, and it lay there for four decades, until Ginny came across it one day looking for something else and said, Derek, give these to Philip. He likes ships. Well, 
I phoned the guys at the ship's society. I said, lads, I've got something for you. You better get around the table on Saturday. So we had a meeting around the table, and a lot of them are ex-naval. And they handed them around, and they said, well, we've just never seen anything like this, Phil. These are are unique. So I phoned up a chap that I'd done some business with for the society a few years ago called Gabriel Atheros, who used to publish a historic newspaper called the Cape Odyssey. And I said, I've got something that I'd like your opinion on, Gabriel. So he said, well, I live in Takai. Come and buy me a coffee at Jake's tomorrow at 10. So I went down, took the envelope. He spent literally a minute looking, and he said, you have to do something with these because I'm a Cape historian, and these are unique photographs. He said, we've got to make some kind of publication. And that was the motivation because the alternative was that they would just either go into my trunk for the next 40 years or end up in the ship society at a cupboard for the next 40 years. And so I bit the bullet and said, well, how much and how? And he said, well, that's what I do, and we'll try and keep costs under control, and I'll give you a hand because it's a project that I'm interested in as well. Mm-hmm. And it came together. We've produced so far 250 books. The publisher, Gabriel, got 50. I've got 200. I've sold, um, I've sold unfortunately, not a lot because COVID-19 hit. This book was produced and came out of the printers in the middle of March. Oh, dear. Yeah. So COVID was closing in on us. But the good news, Rodney, is that it's just gone to a national distributor, a very nice chap called Full West and his company Protea Distributors, and it should be in certain bookshops in the next week or two. Well, I have to say I'm very glad now it's being distributed because it deserves to be seen. It's a lovely book. Just those pictures of that magnificent pier, for example, that disappeared so many years ago. And of old Cape Town, and there's a lovely picture of the procession when the king and queen were coming up through the bottom of Adley Street. The other thing is there's a map in here showing you just how much of the foreshore has been reclaimed um, and what the harbour looked like years ago. You must be very proud of it as well. Yeah, Rodney, it's difficult. It's like talking about your own children. But um, I am proud that I have taken the step and put it out into the public domain. And the pier, I'm glad you mentioned the pier because the pier wasn't in the original selection of 70 photographs that I was given from the Blythe Clayton collection. But when I talk to young people about Cape Town as a city, many of them are unaware that the shoreline that we have today is not the shoreline that was. Mm. And I was keen to show the pride and glory of Edwardian Cape Town, which was the Adderley Street Pier. So I went off to the archives and found the best photographs that I could get my hands on. And I thought, I'm going to start, if I'm going to tell the story of the evolution of the harbor and the Cape Town waterfront, I want to start with the original shoreline and the pier. So that was it. I just think it's something that has been forgotten in the sands of time. And yet, if you walk down towards the new convention center construction, you know, they dug up a part of the pier and they've actually got it on display. Really? Yes. Is that about where the pier was? Where yes, the, that's exactly where the pier where ended. Where the CTICC is now. Where the, that's where it ended. That's where it ended. And oh, it gosh. started at the Fountain Circle at the bottom, um, just outside the Strand, railway station. Strand Street, uh, down there, bottom of Strand Street. Bottom of Strand Street. Yeah. yeah. That's where the pier began. That's where the pier began. Good grief. Mm. Well, anyway, while we ponder that, let's have another piece of music. Bridge Over Troubled Water. Bridge over troubled water. Once again, we've had so much rain in Cape Town over the last few days. We are struggling with COVID-19. 
And I just think we need a bridge over troubled water at a time like this. And it's just a lovely song.
Gosh, well, that's certainly a classic. I haven't heard that for ages, so thank you. Bridge over troubled water, Simon and Garfunkel. Something to ponder there as well. And the choice of my guest, Philip Short of the Ship Society. He's the vice chairman. You know, we've been talking about various things in that book, and I'll come back to the book in a moment, but one of the things um, is the RMS Centralina. And did the Ship Society have anything to do with that? Because that was really an institution, wasn't it, between Cape Town and Centralina, one of the last mail ships. It was one of the last mail ships in the world. I think there are a couple running around the Polynesian island run by the French, mm-hmm. but um, it was certainly the last of its kind on the Southampton Cape Town run and it was the lifeline for St. Helena as you say and yes it was very sad when they um, stopped the service and they inaugurated the air service which has not been a great success as you probably well know there was something wonderful about it because it was old-fashioned beef tea at 11 (laughs) and uh, you know it was all done in the traditional style and um, I couldn't resist so I, I, I put my hand in my pocket in 2013 and took my wife and we went for um, they had a lovely little short sort of 15-day one as opposed to the 20-day or 14-day. Mm, mm. And um, it was so nice. We met so many nice people. I'd actually been on the island as a six-year-old on, on, the, on the Pretoria Castle, but I didn't really remember it. So I was keen to do one of the last mail ship voyages in the world. And um, it's wonderful. Interestingly, afterwards, it was sold to some kind of um, slightly shady combine to provide um, armed escort and protection around the area of the Persian Gulf from piracy. My goodness, what a change from yeah. the elegant, rather yes. old world, Oldie worldy indeed, to having sort of hairy-chested, tattooed, machine gun toting, <laughs> yes, international <laughs> men, of, um, men for hire on board, providing armed muscle. But I think she's now been sold and bought again for use as a transport vehicle for e-grand prix which is electric motor racing she is the sort of floating um supply station and i must read up a little bit more rodney about that because i'm slightly out of touch but i've got a feeling that's what she is mm-hmm. oh yeah. but still it's all very sad i remember going down to the terminal to see her on her last voyage out. Correct. And it was very sad and very nostalgic. We did two FMR cruises to St. Helena with musicians on board, and it was an absolute treat. Um, we're nearing the end of our time for all time races when you're talking about something you love. Mm. And it's been so nice talking about the Ship Society, a bit of nostalgia, and, um, you know, this book as well. Let me just remind our listeners it's called Tavern of the Seas, The Unseen Years, 1935 to 1955, compiled by Philip Short with Jay Gates. And um, you'll be able to find it, and you can't miss it because of there's a beautiful colored enlarged postcard, tinted, what would you call it? Yes, a hand-tinted postcard of T.D. Ravenscroft from the late 20s on the cover, showing the, the Cape Town of, Pier. Of the Cape Town Pier. And the iconic mountain. And it's a lovely browse through the old world of Cape Town Harbour. And also there's some pictures of the city, which are quite extraordinary to yes. look at. If you can position where the fort is and the city hall is, you can get your bearings. Phil, thank you. Thank you and all the best. And I hope this COVID thing is over soon and that people can come and visit you. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, we, we do too. We, we're looking forward to getting back up and running. And we have these wonderfully redecorated rooms. And we are urging everyone that is interested in Cape Town at all in the maritime world to just give me a ring um, and look at our Facebook page, Ship Society Facebook page. All the details are there. And we'd love you to come down and, 
and have a look what we have to offer. Okay, Philip, what's your last, what's your parting shot music-wise? Well, my parting shot music-wise, as we started this interview at 11 o'clock, Rodney, which was when I would normally be looking to have a good coffee, my mum's favourite singer, Frank Sinatra, the coffee song, it just seems so appropriate. Coffee culture is <laughs> so big in Cape Town, and yet this song was written 50 years ago or 60 years ago, and it just rang a bell with me. Thank, Thank you. Me. My guest, Philip Short. Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions, so they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. You can't get cherry soda, cause they've got to fill that quota. And the way things are, I'll bet they never will. They've got a zillion tons of coffee in Brazil. No tea or tomato juice, you'll see. No potato juice, cause the planters down in Santa's all say no, no, no. The politician's daughter was accused of drinking water and was fined the great big $50 bill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Like a percolator Her perfume was made right on the grill Why they could percolate the ocean in Brazil And when their ham and eggs need savor Coffee ketchup gives them flavor Coffee pickles way outsell the dill Why they put coffee in the coffee in Brazil No tea No tomato juice You'll see no potato juice The planters down in Santa's All say no, no, no So you led to the local color Serving coffee with a crawler Duncan doesn't take a lot of skill They've got an awful lot of coffee An awful lot of coffee Man, they got a gang of coffee In Brazil People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.